0: Amen Let's go to the book of Psalm Chapter 42 I might as well come out of this jacket right now I'm about to die I hadn't got accustomed to taking up the offering yet So uh, as soon as I get through preaching And the singers come Ushers if you'd come with them And we'll do it then Amen. Forgive me. I knew y'all was waiting to give. Psalm 42, and we'll read five verses. Is everybody ready? Amen. Psalm 42 and 1. As the heart, just just right here out of the gate, just in case someone doesn't know, someone's new to church, new to the Bible, doesn't understand. That's, just a, that's speaking of a young deer. Just a little, just barely able to go. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? His tears are talking to him. You hear that? Tears are saying, where is your God now? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise and with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I want to just preach for a little bit, maybe just do a little teaching, just as long as we connect and the Lord ministers to us here tonight, I want to talk to you for a little bit about life after failure, life after disappointment. Life after sorrow. Lord, we come to you one more time knowing we're nobodies except for you. You don't owe us anything. We're just honored to be in your house. We're just honored to be in your presence. We thank you for your word. Thank you for a special anointing that's coming here. Thank you for your protection, for your hand that's been on us for so long. Now, we just ask you to bless us as we go into your word. Let us hear and understand and respond to what you're saying to us. We'll give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In your perfect, matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let's just praise him one more time. Come on. Come on. Lift your voice a little bit. That'd be fine. With the voice of triumph. Praise him. hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say there is life after failure. Say there is life after disappointment. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. As I look into the writings here of the psalmist David, the great songwriter here of the 42nd Psalm, uh, doctors both of medicine and theology read this and I don't know if you know it or not but there are people that have degrees in education in uh, body language. Do you know that? When they interview criminals someone will be there and they'll uh, they'll try to determine if that person's telling the truth or not. They do it in, in civil trials. They, they do it in, uh, uh, in criminal trials and Uh, Both the uh, defense uh, and the prosecution will have people that do that, and they have the same type of people that have a a doctorate in uh, deciphering whether a person is under stress or pressure when they write write a letter. They can read that and look at it and compare it to other times uh, of their writing and determine if someone forced them to write it. What what they were feeling. How, there's there's a there's a science to it all. The, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, if they make eye contact, uh, the way they finish their essays. There's a science to it, and so it's a it's an interesting thing. This forty second psalm uh, doctors both of. Medicine and theology agree that the writings of David in this 42nd psalm are clearly coming from a pen of depression. Oh, this is going to get good. And then it goes a little further. The theology, the doctor in theology says not only is it depression, but it's spiritual oppression that David is clearly in uh, a deep battle in his mind as he writes this. And this is their understanding, obviously, this many years later. And maybe the reason is because it is... Uh, a reflection of David's past. The writing comes after some incredible failures, some incredible letdowns, some, some terrible choices that he had made personally, and then uh, some choices some other people had made for him. And so... It puts him in a situation to where he's writing. If you're not really, really paying close attention, if you if you just happen to be reading this, I always like to know when somebody's writing, no matter who it is, uh, I like to know who they're writing to because it matters. It, it sets up the moment. And so I, I tried to de- determine myself in these five verses uh, who is David writing to. And so uh, in the beginning we see that Uh, He's writing to God, and then he's writing to the eternal reader, you and I, at another time. And then another time he's writing to himself. And then another time he specifically addresses his own soul. And so he's kind of scatter writing. He's just writing all over to anybody willing to listen. Oh, but it's a song. It's called a song, but it's a song. Sometimes we sing songs... To anybody that'll listen, and so this is David, and it's after failure. It, it's post explosion, and so uh, it, it comes at a at a time in his life when he's clearly uh, reflecting on uh, the rejection and the problems that he had brought on himself, and and things that other people had done. And it's it's being it's being penned by the same hands that. Uh, Not too long ago, it seems, held on to another man's wife. Come on, watch this. One of the greatest writers in history that gave us some of the greatest songs. That same hand, not long before, was a hand of sin. Oh, we're fixing to preach right here. I feel it. So I, I don't want us to forget that the the tragic life stories of King David. When when we think about David, we think about David and the giant, or or uh, even more clearly, David and Goliath, and and his perfect godly hatred of the Philistines. We think about him preparing Solomon uh, to build a temple. We t- we think about him getting all the materials and the workers, and and he does all the building fundraising, gets everything ready. But because he's a man with unclean hands the Lord says you won't ever build that church the next guy will and so these are the things he's having to toil with. And just imagine if you've worked all your life, you've been the king, you come, uh, you, you come up through the ranks from a shepherd to, to surpass your brothers and then to surpass the one that, that you loved so much and protected in Saul, that you loved him so much that while he was trying to kill you, you were still willing to go to him when he was having anxiety attacks and play a harp for him to calm his nerves. This is a guy that's dealt with a lot of things. He's dealt with a lot of issues. And we've got to notice that uh, before he makes this mistake, before he looks upon Bathsheba, there's a mistake that's made even bigger than that, that we've got to notice. When he doesn't go to war, it means he takes his hands off of his sword and off of his shield. Folks, when we don't have our hand to the work of the Lord, we become idle. And when we're idle, the enemy has a place to work. The only thing that happened to David is nothing new under the sun. He got idle. When he got idle, the temptation of the flesh took over. Woo. He got idle in not fighting for God. He, in those days and still today, if you don't fight for God, then what happens? You know, in those days it was a form of praise and it was a high honor to die on the battlefield for your king. Well, David was the king, but he had a king. His king was the unseen God, Jehovah. And he he was not going to battle for him. We we see this in our own nation. We we see this encroaching on our our churches and in our our local assemblies that people have taken their hand off the sword and off the shield. And when they're not on the sword and they're not on the shield, they'll be on something or somebody. Ah. When we quit fighting for godly principles and godly lifestyle, it won't be long till that heart of praise and worship and willing to die for our King leaves us. Oh, here we go. Our hands and our mind will be idle, and then here comes the troubles of life. When we neglect to keep our heart full of the right things, hell will see to it that it's full. Of the wrong things. So one of the greatest men to ever find himself that I can read, there's a couple of more arguably in scripture. There's a couple that, that you could look at, but we find him mentally depressed and spiritually oppressed. His mind is wandering. He has the pen in his hand and He's talking to himself and he's talking to his soul and he's talking to anybody that'll listen and he's talking to God and he speaks to the eternities and probably the deepest portions of the writing, he is writing to his soul. He addresses his soul directly. Through this depression and oppression, he's doing his best now after the mistakes to hang on. We're fixing to preach. Get ready. He sinned against God. He sinned against his own law by not going to the battlefield. That was his own law. He said, you go go to war when the trumpet blows. and That was his own rule. It was his own law. He expected it of his own men because we're going to protect truth and godly righteousness. We're going to be there. Now he's made this incredible mistake. Not only that, he's looked over and he saw this beautiful woman bathing in the next door home. And he's caused her to make a mistake. And it's the wife of his faithful friend and most trusted warrior, Uriah the Hittite. He, now they've entered into a lie together to try to cover up their actions. See, when we take our hand off the sword and we lay down the shield, it don't only affect us. Will always draw somebody into some wrongdoing with us. It'll happen every time. By not going to the battlefield to protect truth and godly righteousness, he's caused someone else to fail. Now to cover that up, he's got to do something even greater. He's got to, to enter into a conspiracy now to have his most his most faithful soldier and one of his dearest friends, Uriah, has to have him killed and. That works. And so that settles that issue. You see, when we take our hand off the sword, people we were supposed to protect die. We lay the shield down. People that were close to us lose their life. In due season, a child was born from he and Bathsheba's actions. God could not let that stand. And so he took the life of that little child, that newborn. This crushed the heart of David. It crushed him, a man-child born to a king. Well, nothing's greater in the world. Nothing's more celebrated in that day than a son born to a king. What a day, what a day. And the Lord says, you won't experience this because you should have been to battle. Uriah ought to be here. Bathsheba ought not be in this predicament. And this little boy is not going to inherit your kingdom through your sin. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We can't fall into sin and just expect our children to inherit the kingdom. Y'all think I'm preaching about sin. I guess if it hits you now, go ahead. I'm serious. If it works for you now, then take it. I just want you to see the things that play out in David's life. The life of this child is taken now. This just bruises and crushes David's heart. I can see now he's he's developed a plan and designed a plan to cause his most faithful friend and, and loyal warrior to die. He's taken that man's wife and now they've had a child and that child has died. So the troubles have started. Years later, one of David's grown sons, Amnon. Anybody ever heard about Amnon? He hatched a plan and carried it out to take advantage of his sister Tamar. It was a very terrible situation. When it was found out, nothing was done about it. David did not carry out any justice or see to it that it was settled. So one of his other sons named Absalom took it upon himself to deal with it through a big party. Now watch this is this is in the family of the greatest king possibly to ever live, and the greatest worshiper without question. But look at the look at the stuff. One son destroys a sister. The brother says, no, it's not going to happen. So he throws a a big party. And by the time the party is over, Amnon, the son of the king that's committed this terrible act, is dead. Now, because this son carried out justice when it wasn't his place to carry out justice, Absalom, another son that could have inherited the kingdom now, is on the run for his life. And he's left the country Knowing that he would either be killed by the people or have to be sent to prison by his own father. What a life David is living when he writes, Come on, soul, where are you at? My tears are making fun of me and asking me, Where's my God now? What a song to write to anybody that'll listen. After about five years of Absalom being back he was gone some three years and David finally found where he was and sent for him and said come on back son I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to pardon you and I think the sting of death is far past and the people will follow me and they'll listen to me and so we're going to forgive you I'm not going to be able to restore you back to an heir of the throne but we'll be able to restore you back to the kingdom and so I want you to come home and he comes home he's there just five years and he gets an army together and he says hey David, daddy is weak. He's old. He's made poor choices. We ought to take this army and go defeat his army and I'll become the king. Folks, you're talking about family troubles. You think you got them. Yeah. As that turns out, Absalom ends up running for his life during the war, during the battle. He's got long hair. The Bible describes it about like Antonio's. Stand up, Antonio. Imagine that on a horse, about 25 miles an hour, under a mulberry tree. Hairs flying. It wraps around it. He's hanging. They find him and some of David's men run a sword through him and they're real proud that they've done that. But it wasn't what David wanted. So now what does he have? He's got a dead son. He's got another one gone. He's got another one gone. He's got a daughter violated. There's been a coup. All started with one poor choice. Not Going to battle. Not holding the sword and not holding the shield. Watch this. It's not long after that, his wife Michael rises up against him as a worshiper, tries to embarrass him, and never has a child from that day forward. The Bible's not clear. I have my own opinions, I've preached them. But She rises up and says, oh, what a fool you are. You worship the Lord. You take off your kingly garment, and you look like one of these peasants. You just look like one of these people just walking around out here that don't have anything to offer. What a fool. But David's doing everything he can to get back to where he once was. His writing is telling this. Still yet, another son. It's it's, it's incredible. He's already appointed Solomon to be the next king. They're getting ready to have a party. And Adonijah is a man that probably many of us, unless you just read through this, you don't know anything about. But he was king for a day. For one day, Adonijah was the king, and after Solomon had been appointed, while everything was getting ready to happen, it's not even recorded in in Israel's history because it wasn't recognized. But it's recognized in this holy book right here. And the Bible said that he got fifty men, and he got a prophet, and he got some people to go with him, and a chief priest to go with him, and he declared himself the king for 24 hours. He was the king. Shortest reign in history. Till Solomon took his rightful place. So now another son has tried. What a life David's living. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a recount. He's looking at it and he's thinking. He's talking at times to himself. He's talking at times to God. He's talking at times to you and I and whoever will read and whoever hear and whoever will listen. But I want to tell you, I just shared with you 12 tragic events that happened because of one choice. I want to say before I start preaching the second half and the part I'm excited about on this message tonight, I want you to know that when we put our sword down and we put our shield down, you get ready for the struggle. Come on, when you're a worshiper and when God called you to restore your family and restore your lineage and restore the kingdom and you put your sword down, See, there are people in this place right here that the, that the Lord has spoken over you already and you're going to break a sinful curse of generations of alcoholism, of generations of problems and generations of, of things that have gone on. Just one generation. Well, Daddy done it and Papa done it and my great-grandpa done it and, and in a no one, I didn't know it. And down the line, the Lord is using you and calling you to break a cycle of sin. And I want somebody to hear me right now. As long as you'll keep your sword and your shield as long as you'll go to battle for the king every time the battlefield is open up to you you will break through you'll be the first one in the history of your family heritage and lineage you'll be the one to break the mold of what should have been I'm so happy the last couple of weeks my wife and I I can say something about it now I think I don't think she'll mind too much now if she does I know how to hold her For the last couple weeks, you know, uh, many people don't know this, but except for uh, a couple of her aunts, she's outlived already all the females in her life on one side they died in their 40s and late 40s and 50s and right about the age she's at only a couple of them and it's been with heart disease and, and so the doctor said well there's a little concern and, and you know you battled the virus last year and this and that and we want to do some heart tests on you and and they did and we've been worried about it the last couple of weeks and a couple of days ago we got a report and they said well you got just a little bit of plaque buildup in a couple places but it's not anything at all to worry about don't do anything anything about it right now. We can give you a little medication. You should never have an issue. But here's the thing. Before that, she made the statement in faith. She said, I am going to break that curse. That's what she said. She said, I know I can feel it. I can hear it. I can understand it. I know we're supposed to be in fear. I know that Mama all died at 45. And I know that Mama died at 54. And I know that everybody else died young and some younger than that. But I'm going to be the one to break that curse. And I want to tell some of you tonight that if you keep your hand on the sword and your hand on the shield, you'll break the curse that hell has placed on your family. You won't die an alcoholic. You won't die a drug addict. You You won't die in a red light district. You won't die in sin. You won't die with your hands on somebody else. You will die in the pleasure and the faith and the favor of God. I wish you'd stand up and praise him if you'll declare that over your life. You're gonna break a curse. You're gonna break a generational thing. This is your time. This is your night. This is your hope. Folks, let me tell you something. Something was birthed in me the other day. The other morning, I made a statement from this pulpit, and I want to say it now. If David would have just been where he's supposed to be, I remember clearly what I said, that possession's nine-tenths of the law. It's an old saying. If David would have just been at church, he'd have had a perfect cover story. But it wouldn't have been a cover story. It would have been the truth he'd have just been where he's supposed to have been, David might have built the tabernacle. David, I don't know at what point the Lord decided you're a man of war and you're a man of unclean and bloody hands. I don't know, but I can at least put it out there that there's a possibility David would have been able to do what his heart desired. But he was not in the right place at the right time. Folks, we got to do something. We got to keep it real. We got to be what we're supposed to be with who we're supposed to be with. Nothing to cover up, nothing to hide, nothing to lie about. Nobody dies. Nobody gets hurt. There are no issues. When we just do the right thing. With all David's history, as a battle tried and true warrior, He breaks his own commandment and stays home. Starts lying about his actions, where he was and what he was doing and who he's with. But I'm fixing to preach to you that after troubles, there's still a God. That after failure, there's still a God. That after you've made the biggest mistake in your life, there's still a God. That from the eternities is saying, if you'll just get up and if you'll just repent and pick up the sword and pick up the shield and live right, I will lead you into another place. I will give you that praise again. I'll give you that dance again. I'll give you that joy you first felt when you came to church. See, here's the problem. Some people get in for a year or two or five or eight, and they start wondering where the love went. The love left when you took your hand off of the sword and off of the shield, and church became something you had to do instead of desired to do. I can hear it now. Oh, God, it's Wednesday. Oh, no. David said, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I want somebody to hear me. There's life after failure. There's life after prison. There's life after divorce. There's life after being walked out on. There's life even after you walked out. We serve a God. This is a man writing, and we wonder why he's depressed and oppressed. He's writing. He's experienced love, hate, death, highs, lows, rejection, anticipation, loss, personal accomplishments, personal failure, friends and family have turned against him in droves, deep family issues. Let me just say, except for a few things, we wouldn't even know nothing about David. Think about it. Half of all the discussions about King David would be gone without Goliath. Come on. Because that's the Sunday school lesson. That's the message. Half of his life story that we teach in church and that we hear talked about and preached about would be gone except for one brave moment where he trusted God but in that same situation one time he kills Goliath and he wins it all and the next time he's scared to go to battle and loses it all I I told Missy last night I said you know what I've been thinking about it all day she said what I said, I'd rather be in the will of God anywhere than out of the will of God exactly where I wanted to be. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's a place we don't want to go, and that's out of the will of God. Come on, I'm going to just say it again. There's a place you don't want to be, and that's out of the will of God. He brought you too far, delivered you from too much, gave you a good name after your failure. You better stay in his will. You better keep the sword. You better keep the shield. You better... St- Woo! except for a few things we wouldn't know, except for him returning the Ark of the Covenant, except for getting some materials together and having some great sons. Everything else almost would be bad stories. But in the middle of all that, the Lord God himself said that David is a man that's after my heart. He's chasing me. He's seeking me. He's desiring to be the best me he can be. How does he say that about such a failure? Because God is a God that believes in life after failure. God is a God that believes in kingdoms after you drop the ball, in kingdoms after addiction, in leadership after failure. Somebody needs to hear me. You hadn't done it all right. You ought to be thankful that there's a God that loves you right now in spite of you not going to battle, putting down the sword and shield. Somebody ought to praise him. I feel it. Somebody ought to just praise him right now. Somebody that made a mistake historically years ago, you ought to just thank him that you're where you're at today. He's a man steadily. The translations after a man, after God's own heart, there's two of them. First, he's a man steadily chasing after God even through his failures meaning number one. Second meaning to that statement is although he was a man of failure, there was something inside of him that desired to destroy the enemies of his God and never make friends with them. You see, all you have to do is just look to the next generation. See, Solomon had a different idea. When David was laid to rest and Solomon took over, Solomon went out to all of his enemies and sent an email to all the kings and said hey I want to take at least one of y'all's daughters every one of you to be my wife that's where the scripture comes from the Bible said don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers Paul said it in Corinthians I read it again today that's a direct result of Solomon Solomon going outside the house of God, looking for love in all the wrong places. David might have wrote that song, come to think of it. That's probably Psalm 151. Hey, somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you right now. When he faced reality of his failures, here was the answer that he was a man after God's own heart. And here's what he said. When I think about the worst times in my life, and all we've got to do is pick up at the very next verse. In depression and oppression, sinful hands, write eternal words. Here's what verse 6 says. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill of Miser. What's he saying? He's saying, although I've made the biggest mistakes a man can ever make, I want you to know that my soul is still reaching for you. I'm still searching for you. I'm hungry for you. I'm desiring you. In the middle of all of my failures, my soul is in love with you. That's not all. He said, I'm going to remember you everywhere I turn. Watch what he says in in 11. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? me as with a sword in my bones mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me where is thy God? Why art thou cast down O my soul and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and of my God. Somebody needs to hear me right now. He said while my soul's crying and my eyeballs are weeping tears and my spirit is weeping I will see to it that I praise him after my failures. Come on, if there's a human being in this room that's ever failed God, if your body will allow you, you ought to stand right now and say thank you that after my failures, I've still got a chance to praise you. I refuse to get mad. I refuse to be bitter. I may have to walk through the valley of depression and spiritual oppression, but I refuse to let your spirit get out of my reach. Woo, somebody ought to just praise him right now. Somebody ought to just praise him. Woo. While my tears make fun, while my depression and oppression says, where is your God now? What am I going to do? I'm going to pick up the sword, and I'm going to pick up the shield, and I'm going to dance. And I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to return your kingdom back. I'm going to bring your spirit back to the house. I'll see to it that hell has no place in my soul. But you made a mistake. While my soul cries, I'll praise you. Let me tell you what another human being said that made a mistake. We call him the minor prophet Micah. He says, rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemy, when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Kings and prophets understood failings, but they said, Not if I fall, but when I fall. Don't get too happy yet, hell, I'm not dead. Towards the end of David's writings in 122 and 1 of the song book we call Psalm, he says. I was glad when they said unto me. He didn't say I was glad it was church day. He didn't say I was glad to hear the choir singing. I was glad to hear the priest priesting and the preacher preaching and the prophet prophesying. He said I got excited when they started talking about it. I didn't even have to be there to get excited. When I woke up and it was Tuesday, I said, Hallelujah, tomorrow's church day. He said, I'm somebody needs to hear me right now. I woke up Saturday morning and got on the lawnmower and was singing, Tomorrow is church day. They just talked about it and got a depressed, oppressed, failed king excited. I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord when they just said it when they just talked about revival when they talked about a series of services when they talked about a Sunday evening gathering The word glad right there denotes an internal happy excitement. It's the same thing as when the girl or the guy sees her for the second time and his heart goes, ooh. It's that internal shiver. He said, well, when they start talking about church. Oh, my, 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 my. I shared this one time with you. I, I, I make a lot of notes about a lot of things, and I, I shared this with you in March of 2016. This story I'm fixing to tell you. True story. Man was so upset with life, he wrote into the newspaper as an anonymous writer. He said, I don't understand why people think you should even go to church he said I've been going 30 years now 30 years now listen to his calculation and you'll you'll start understanding some things pretty quick he says in 30 years I can't remember one sermon past the last one not one Nobody responded in the paper. But it did start sparking a little debate. People started rebuking him in the paper, and this went back and forth, the bantering week to week. And finally, guy shut it down. He wrote a letter to the editor and he said, To the man that wrote about going to church for 30 years. And to the best of his calculation. He said, I've been married to my wife 30 years. And the best we can figure, she's cooked me 21,000 meals. I don't remember a single one of them beyond a week or two ago. He went on to add, but in those 21,000 meals, it kept me and it nourished me and it fed me and it got me to where I am today. And without those meals, I would not be alive to write to the editor. He said, sir, every time you go to church, you may not remember the message, but something happens on the inside. It's a growth process when you're where you're supposed to be and you got a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. You become a warrior that's in the right place for the right time. So what am I gonna do? I refuse to get bitter when there's family struggles. I refuse to get bitter when my sons turns against me, my daughter turns against me, my children are are stricken. I refuse. I want to make sure my soul is always headed true north towards the Lord, brother. Brother. Brother Vance could could tell us, and some other builders and people that have worked around it could tell you. I learned it again here a while back. I built a pergola or a pergola. I've heard it pronounced all kind of ways, and yeah, I built it real nice, and it, it's square. It looks good. Then I decided to roof it, Brother Herbert. you would know about this. I decided to roof it. and I put some clear plastic out over it. We just want to extend the porch a little bit. And you know about this, Brother Chris. And I, I put a, put up the first run on it, and the second run, and the third run, about the fourth run. I was up on the top, and my bride's on top of the ladder. and I could just barely see out, and I saw that piece was a little bit longer than the other one. I knew it was all the same length. and I said, how did that happen? She said, that's just the way they're running I thought oh no what well, started out as a sixteenth of an inch by the time I got 16 feet it was about 4 inches what did I have to do I had to cut everything to fit it's there it's square but here's what happens everything was laid right then I just got one just, just a hair off on the end Up against the house, against the building, it's perfect. You'll never know it looking at it. You wouldn't know if I hadn't told you. You can stand there and look at the ribs and they all look right. But I know this. I started out just about that far off true north. Just letting a little bit in here and a little bit in there. When I got to the last portion of life, I was so far away from right, pick up your sword and kill every 16th, as soon as it comes up, defend every sword, every arrow, come on singers, I'm done, I'm past my 35 minutes, I just went to 40, it's the first time since we made this deal I preached over 35 minutes, I'm trying to be right with you. Hey, you got things to do tomorrow, places to go. Listen, sword on one hand, shield on the other, and the people you love won't have to die. People you love won't be lost. Just just before they receive our offering, I probably said that wrong. I just wonder. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, ushers, just forgive me. Maybe just become prayer partners for just a few moments. Is there anybody that'd like to just walk to this altar and and just check the tape again? Anybody that'd just like to walk to the altar one more time, lift your hands and say, God, I thank you for loving me after my failures. I thank you for loving me. I'm sorry, ushers, just forgive me. Thank you. Thank you for loving me when I didn't do right by my children, right by my family, right by the kingdom, right by the throne you gave me to sit on, right by the leadership position you gave me, right by the job you gave. When I failed, thank you for leaving the altar open for me. Thank you, thank you for loving me when the kingdom would exile me. lead us in song come on somebody can touch the hem of his garment right now we're going to have a great time Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and Then we've got a tremendous missionary in our 11 o'clock service it's going to be a great great service from I think Southeast Asia if I remember right it slipped me but it's going to be great 11 o'clock but right now God can do something this moment at this time 13 minutes after 8, on the 25th day of May, 2022, God is here. You are here. Don't miss this opportunity. What I do, Pastor, just tell him you love him. Ask him to forgive you. mean it from the bottom of your heart. Get that first situation settled. For all we're Here in your presence. Heaven and earth, Heaven and earth become on. one. Heaven descends and touches presence. us. The love and the hope of all glory makes all things new. He'll forgive you right now. He'll set you straight right now. He'll reposition your future. He'll reestablish your name right now. Here in your presence, everything bows before before you. Let's lift our hands all over this building together while the music plays. And let's just thank Him. If you're on this side of forgiveness, on this side of mistakes, God's already started restoring you. Restoring... Your family, your children, your failures. He's put things back in order. It's blood covered. What should have been. We are under. turning it into what's going to be. we in your presence. Pleasant and that come one. in your presence. Oh, here in your presence, here in your presence. All things are new. All things are new. Everything about you. Just the keys for just a moment. Let's just slip a hand towards heaven one more time. Lord, move in this place. Every person, whether they've been filled with your spirit or not, remind us one more time who you are, what your power and your abilities are what your authority can do. You restore the broken, you answer the questions, you're the light of a dark world. We are a failed society, we're a failed creation, but you, you with your blood purchased us back, put us back on the right track and gave us a fresh start. You're doing it again tonight here in this altar. Your blood is being applied again at repentance. Again. Again.